a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're talking about the rise of popular governments or populist governments, better said. Keith, uh, we've seen the election this week of a left-wing government in Mexico, um, but this is the era of Trump, who's a populist, uh, the Brexit vote, populist um, theories behind that. And as we were just talking about, this is really fascinating because it can be a a left-wing populist movement or a right-wing, but they've been traditionally right-wing over the years, or most people think. Most of them seem to be fairly uh, right-wing, but yes, you can be left-wing. The essence of populism is that you are trying to mobilise the masses, which is basically what democracy is about, you know, democracy, rule by the people. But the, the reason that populism gets a bad press in some quarters is that it's seen as trying to uh, go for short-term fixes. It's very much driven by emotion rather than by cool reasoning. Um, And so it ends up with these sort of wild swings in popular tastes that move back and forth. So in a sense, democracy is based on populism because it's obviously expressing a point of view of the majority of the people. But populism gets a bad press because it is seen as stirring up the masses, causing dissension, causing divisions, and in a sense appealing to what some would say would be the baser elements, the lower elements of society. I've noticed that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, for example, has referred to the leprosy of populism. It's quite amazing that you've got this amongst the sort of some of the, the more moderate leaders, this animosity towards populism. And, of course, he's referring to probably one of the people in, Amer- in um, France who is guilty of this is Marine Le Pen. Absolutely. From, from, from the, the far right. Far right. So Marine Le Pen, but also we're seeing it now in other European elections. The um, Alliance for Germany, Alliance for Deutsche Bank, AFD, did very well in the German elections. Uh, Mrs Merkel got back, but it was a touch and go for her to get reappointed as Chancellor of Germany. So clearly there is an anger that is being reflected in the polls. What I find fascinating is why do we get this level of anger? And I think there are deeper issues that are affecting the future of society which are simply not being coped with in the standard political system. And therefore people are looking for radical alternatives. They're getting sick of politicians coming out of central casting. If you look at the United States, for example, Americans have voted three times in a row for a politician outside of central casting, twice for Barack Obama and now for Donald Trump. Okay, one on the left, the other on the right. But what they're looking for is someone other than a person from central casting, a Mrs Clinton or a a Mitt Romney, who is a Republican contender. So we've got people who, in their bones feel there is something wrong within society, but are suspicious of the present political order, whichever country you're in, suspicious of the current political order to be able to solve those problems. So going for people that are, well, people would think that politicians are pretty boring by nature um, and stale, stale pale, you know, (laughs) in the suit. Um, So they don't want that. That that concerns them. They're sick of that. They think that lies. That, that's right, and they and they see within their society long-term issues. For example, their kids may be unemployed. They may be unemployed. You know, when you look at the very high rates of unemployment amongst young people 
in the Western world, um, certainly in the English-speaking world, um, you see a very high rate of unemployment. So people are obviously responding to that. Um, people are working longer hours. The work is becoming more intensive. You've got the rise of the gig economy, whereby instead of people working Monday to Friday, nine to five, they're going from one gig to the next. That adds to insecurity because they're not sure if they're going to have a, a job next week or even tomorrow. And how do they accumulate money for a mortgage, for example? So you've got concerns that I run across in the real estate industry with people who are expressing worries about the um, inability of people to be able to buy properties. The value of buying a house or an apartment is that it gives you a commitment to the local community, wherever you've bought. If you're just a renter, well, then you move in, move out, move on. So get a, re- a reduced commitment to that local community. For me, populism is, if you like, a canary in the mine. You know, in the old days, you used to take a bird down with you when you were a coal miner because the canary would sniff the gas ahead of you and then give you the warning sign, get get out of the cave, get out of the mine. Um, I think that the rise of populism, um, instead of just referring to it as a um, form of leprosy, etc., that we've got some mainstream politicians are doing, we should be standing back and saying, why are people so angry? What has gone wrong you know, with the American dream or the Australian dream, for that matter? We're lucky in this country. We have a bit of populism, Pauline Hanson, and a bit of it. We've been, we've been fairly lucky. But if you go to the United States, clearly that's a society in increasing disarray. There's a mismatch between the official statistics that talk about the booming Wall Street, etc., um, and the reality, the lived reality, one of my favourite expressions, the lived reality of ordinary Americans. There was a study done a few years ago which showed that um, a very large percentage of Americans could not put their hands on $10,000 if that sum of money were required, such as to cover a health care bill. They could not find it. They would have to borrow it or get it off their friends and relatives, etc. So it means that people are living from one paycheck to the next. A lot of Americans have not put much aside to what we would call superannuation, what's over there called the 401k plan. So the Americans are very insecure, they're anxious, and they're looking for people to blame, Uh, hence the rise of populism. Now, if you go back to the 1930s, the rise of populism, particularly in places, well, the standard example, I guess, would be Hitler's Germany. You know, he blamed the communists and the Jews for Hitler's, uh, for Germany's problems. Um, But he was tapping into that anger and that resentment. Many Germans had lost their life savings in the hyperinflation, which occurred in the early 1920s, that also, of course, lost World War I. So there was a lot of anxiety in Germany, and Hitler was able to play to that anxiety. That's why those of us who teach political science are very wary of populism uh, because of what it can do. It can just sort of spin out of control, and who knows what sort of situation you could end up with. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking tonight about populism and about, um, I guess, in the Trump era, the Brexit era, and now Mexico has um, elected a a very left-wing populist government because they can be left or right-wing, but most Mm. traditionally the most famous in history have been right-wing. But we're talking at the moment about Hitler because he was a populist and look at the damage that was done there. So let's rewind to his day. And you said he took advantage of the fact that people lost a lot of money in hyperinflation of the, yeah. was it the 30s? 
In the early 1920s, the hyperinflation. But yeah. there, there was a lot of dishonesty that he leveraged to get where he got. Uh, well, I guess that what he was doing is tapping into the resentment the Germans felt. And what Hitler did, and this is obviously the case of populists, is that you blame some other group. So the fault is not with you, it's with others. So Hitler blamed the communists, he blamed Jews. Um, and so we, we find populists quite often will pick on, well, foreigners. Look at what Trump did with his campaign. He was blaming Muslims. Um the need to keep out Mexicans. So you pick on particular groups. That's why I say that populism is a worry to politicians in the mainstream because it is focusing on particular groups and trying to divide society. Um, The risk you run with uh, that type of aggressive nationalism um, is that it then ends up with one country fighting another in a sort of a dog-eat dog sort of situation. So if you go back to the interwar period between the two world wars, you've got the United States, um, which triggered a trade war, which is really what we're getting to now. So with that trade war, the Americans uh, put up high tariff barriers to keep out cheap foreign imports from from Europe and elsewhere. Um, And that dog-eat-dog world meant that other countries also responded. And that actually made the Depression far worse. And the worry that some people have got now is this appeal for immediate short-term measures may actually be counterproductive, but but it it works with the voters. You know, the, pre, the president keeping out cheap foreign labour from Central America, well, America, Amer- the United States is running out of workers. People are getting older. You're not getting so many children being born. Why not? Because parents are anxious about where they're going to live, they're worried about healthcare bills, etc. Children are an expensive commitment. Um, So they're not having children. So really they need to have more cheap foreign labour coming into the country. But Trump is saying, no, we're going to keep them out. So it's an immediate response, which is popular with some sections of the electorate, but has long-term consequences because you're keeping out the sort of people that you need because your own citizens are not having enough children. So that, there, there is that aspect to it. So it's, it's an immediate short-term issue, which when you stand back to it, you'd have to say, well, it doesn't make much economic sense from a, from a standard rational point of view. But then politics is not a rational activity. And what you're doing in particular is appealing to the baser elements within society. And so you, you are saying we blame all of our problems on Muslims, or we blame them on on migrants coming in from Central America, Um, or is rather looking back and saying, well, look, America faces deeper problems. The problem for the mainstream politician, that's why I come back to my issue of popularism as the canary in the mine warning people, that you've got these deeper issues which cannot be solved simply by building a wall 2,000 miles long between the United States and Mexico, even if it could in an engineering sense be be achieved, which I don't think it can be. Um, But that's not going to solve America's problems. What America needs is to look at retooling its economy. The uh, era of producing a lot of that manufacturing, the old manufacturing style is gone. If factories are reopened in the United States, they will be capital intensive, not labour intensive. In other words, they'll have a lot of robots in them. They won't need to have too many human beings. Now, what you've then got to be doing is saying, well, how do we retool our economy to cope with this new era into which we are moving? How do we improve education? 
educational expenses in the United States are very, uh, very bad, very expensive. If you look at what goes on in Scandinavia, education is free. Uh, I teach American students. I say, look, you should go to Germany. The courses are held in English. You get a German degree and you won't be lumbered with this very big university bill, which they certainly will be by remaining in the United States. So, of course, what the Germans are doing is that they attract foreign students. They study in Germany or Scandinavia, like Sweden, Finland, they or Norway. They, they stay and they will stay there after they graduate. So it's actually a smart way of getting the brain drain. The smartest kids go to study in these places and then they stay on. They fall in love and they stay on and it helps, therefore, the German economy, etc. And, of course, you were saying before in America they don't have a pension. It's not like they're putting superannuation away to look after you financially when you get to a certain age. They don't have healthcare cover. Mm. So, I mean, they're in a very different state to what Australia is here. Absolutely. We are very lucky indeed. I think one of the most uh, glaring examples of this is when you go to a McDonald's in the United States and look at the number of old-age pensioners who are waiting on table. In other words, they don't have the, the what we would call superannuation to uh, cover them in old age. They have then gone back into the workforce and they are now waiting on tables at McDonald's or other fast food outlets because they've got no money or very little money. So this is what I'm saying, that you've got this anger within the community and a populist simply says, all right, well, we'll blame Mexicans for taking your cheap jobs. What he ought to be asking, President Trump or anybody else, is saying, What's going on with America at the moment? The restructuring of the global economy. Why is this happening? What can we do to change it? But, of course, to do that, Trump would then run up against some of his own financial backers who are loving the current situation. They've got a lot of cheap labour. And so they don't want to have big changes brought about, particularly if it means they're going to have to pay more taxes in the future. You know, And they look at Scandinavia and they do see a very high rate of taxation. So we're talking, obviously, about populism in general, and but based on the fact that the Mexicans voted in this populist government. But tell me about that government, because how would Trump be viewing this government? It's very different. It's it's the left-wing populism. So it is. it's the complete opposite to him, but they're also doing what he does. Yep. So the new leader is Andreas Manuel Lopez Opador, AMLO, as we abbreviate it to AMLO. Um, so he started off in the Institutional Revolutionary Party, uh, but then broke away. The Institutional Revolutionary Party has, has governed Mexico for many of the last few decades. So he broke away um, and campaigned on the issue of uh, of corruption and crime. Mexico is bordering on being a failed state. So he was able, therefore, to campaign on corruption, the failure of mainstream politicians to be able to solve the problems of Mexico. So he's promising all sorts of radical ideas. I don't think he's going to get very far with any of them. Um, and, of course, the tragedy of Mexico is that it's resource-rich, got a good climate in terms of agriculture, etc. just can't get its act together and comes back to a very basic issue, which is one of good governance. But unfortunately, you're dealing with decades, if not centuries, of corruption um, and the difficulty then of trying to create a modern industrial state. Mexico is interesting because it has become by default, one of the developed countries in this world simply because 80% of its goods go into the United States. So, in fact, it's very difficult to draw a line, really, in terms of economic activities separating out Mexico and the United States. The two economies have started to blend, and that's how Mexico got into the OECD, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, because Mexico has got in on the coattails 
of the United States. So Mexico has got great wealth, but can't get its act together. The established political system, according to some, seems to have failed. AMLO has has played to this anger in the same way that Trump at the other end, complaining about Mexicans, did the same. And so it's interesting. We've, we've had a, a short conversation uh, within hours of his being elected president. So President Trump rang him, congratulated him on it. Um, but AMLO is not going to be building a wall for, across the United States-Mexico border. He's not going to do it. His predecessor wouldn't do it. And in Mexico, you can gain political mileage by standing up to America, which again is populism mm. because it's an aggressive form of nationalism. And that, of course, then leads you into conflicts. And, of course, Mexico isn't the only government electing populist governments because you've seen it a lot in Europe lately, as yep. we've, we've talked about in a prior episode. Yeah. Italy has just... Um, Italy, Italy and Spain. Yep, absolutely. Spain and Italy, and we're keeping an eye on Sweden and also what might be going on in Germany. So, uh, yes, it's, it, it's a, a wave that we need to watch out for. But my argument is that it's not just populism as such and the politicians, but the deeper unease within the community that makes such politicians possible. And again, so much more to learn. (laughs) Dr Keith, thank you as always. Thank you. This has been Global Truth with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.